0: So welcome to the GUT Podcast. I'm Mary McLean, Senior Lecturer and Consultant in Gastroenterology at the University of Aberdeen, Scotland, UK, and current visiting Research Fellow at the National Cancer Institute in the USA. In my capacity as Education Editor, I'm hosting this podcast today. This month, we are discussing the Editor's Choice Manuscript entitled A Global Consensus on the Classification, Diagnosis and Multidisciplinary Treatment of Perianal Fistulising Crohn's Disease. This is presented by the World Gastroenterology Organization, the International Organization for Inflammatory Bowel Diseases, the European Society of Coloproctology and Robarts Clinical Trials. And I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Christina Geta here today. Um, She's from Semmelweis University in Budapest, Hungary, um, and she's acting on behalf of the authors. So welcome to the podcast today.
1: Thank you very much, Mari. It's my pleasure to give this contribution to the podcast.
0: So, perianal Crohn's disease is commonly encountered in clinical practice and can be difficult to manage. Um, Firstly, can you remind us of the epidemiology of this diagnosis?
1: Yes, um, population-based studies confirm that perianal fistulas are the most common manifestations of fistulizing Crohn's disease. They develop in about 20% of Crohn's patients and recur in about one-third of the cases. Uh, And it is also notable that the cumulative incidence increases with disease duration, which is about 12% at one year after diagnosis, and it doubles after 20 years of diagnosis. The risk of developing a fistula also depends on disease location, and it is known that it's most frequent in a colonic disease with rectal involvement.
0: So your paper reports consensus statements of four aspects, um, classification, diagnosis, medical treatment, and surgical management, and we'll go through and discuss each of these in turn. Um, But first, tell us the method you used to generate these consensus statements, and who was involved in this process?
1: Initially, the World Congress of Gastroenterology called for evidence-based topics in 2012. So the International Organization for IBD and the European Society of Coloproctology proposed the topic perianal fistulizing Crohn's disease. So thus, a group of international experts were brought together, including gastroenterologists, radiologists, and surgeons uh, with a special interest in IBD. So the objective of the study was to develop a consensus on perianal Crohn's disease based on best available evidence. But as there are limitations to available literature, the consensus also relies on expert opinion uh, in order to offer guidance to clinicians in these often really complicated cases in the everyday life. So a systematic literature search was first performed by the research committee, and as you mentioned, according to the four main areas of interest. The consensus statements were drafted based on this systematic literature review and also the potential algorithms. They were all discussed and revised by the group in several email discussions and during three live meetings. And as a final step, all participants voted on each statement. So the consensus was defined as at least 80% of agreement, and the modified grade criteria were used to establish the strength of recommendations and the quality of evidence.
0: So moving on to the paper, tell us about the consensus on the classification of perianal Crohn's disease and how this may impact patient management.
1: Yes. Um, There is a distinction uh, to be made between classification and scoring, because classification is um, considered as a detailed anatomic description of the perianal fistula tracts, and scoring is the assessment of the fistula activity, which is supposed to be a dynamic measure which is sensitive to change under treatment. And actually, both of these components, so both classification and scoring, uh, are necessary to design an optimal therapeutic strategy. So when we talk about classification, the first important component is the fistula anatomy, um, which is described best according to the modified Parks classification. Um, which describes the course of the fistula tracts in relation to the external anal sphincter. Um, This is an important landmark as well as whether the fistula is running high or low. And this is decided whether the fistulas um, run through the lower one-third of the external uh, anal sphincter or uh, in the upper two-thirds of the external anal sphincter. So this is the first component. The second one is that the rectum and the anal canal should be evaluated for the presence of ulcerations and or strictures. And the third component is the perianal abscesses, which is also essential to prevent further septic complications in these patients.
0: So let's now consider the diagnosis and follow up of perianal Crohn's disease. There are several modalities that can be employed to assess these patients, such as MRI, uh, examination under anaesthesia, and endoscopy. But can you outline the consensus that was reached on this issue?
1: The consensus is that a combination of diagnostic modalities is recommended in the diagnosis, namely endoscopy and MRI or EUS, and examination under anesthesia. Uh, endoscopy, as I said previously, is important because proctitis is associated with a problematic wound healing. Uh, therefore, it contraindicates definitive surgical procedures and is usually an indication for aggressive medical therapy. Um, When we compare the accuracy of diagnostic modalities of EUS, EUA, and MRI, they are all excellent, performing around 90%. However, when we use the combination of modalities, namely EUA with MRI or EUS, it increases accuracy to 100%. Why we really stick to EUA is that it allows immediate therapeutic intervention as well, such as abscess drainage or satin placement. And whether we choose MRI or EUS, it really depends on availability and expertise. There are certain factors where EUS performs better, um, such as it recognizes the internal openings with a higher sensitivity. Um, however, MRI is better in diagnosing complex fistulas and high tracks.
0: So, the next part of the paper describes the consensus regarding the management of perianal Crohn's disease. Um, So, firstly, considering medical management, what's the consensus on the use of steroids, aminosalicylates and antibiotics?
1: Aminosalicylates have no clinical effect on perianal Crohn's disease. And with regard to steroids, uh, worsening of discharge and increased need for surgery has been previously described. However, when we are talking about antibiotics, their role is a little bit more complex. The early studies reported that there is an early fistula improvement after approximately six to eight weeks of antibiotic therapy with metronidazole or ciprofloxacin. However, they noted uh, a frequent relapse upon the discontinuation of antibiotic therapy. Uh, then a little bit later, one randomized control trial showed uh, no difference between ciprofloxacin, metronidazole, and placebo for fistula closure. However, it was an underpowered study with a short-term follow-up. Um, two double-blind randomized control trials assessed the efficacy of ciprofloxacin combined with anti-TNF therapy, and the result was that an early response rate showed extensive benefits from the combination therapy, namely ciprofloxacin plus infliximab resulted in approximately 70% of uh, fistular response in the patients versus 39% with infliximab alone. And a similar uh, difference was seen when patients were, th- patients were treated in another randomized control study with ciprofloxacin and adelimumab. However, after discontinuation of the ciprofloxacin, the difference between the two groups completely diminished. Overall, these results support that the efficacy of antibiotics in reducing fistula closure is there, but not in fistula healing, and therefore, they are only recommended as adjunctive therapies in perianal Crohn's.
0: Is there any evidence for the use of thiopurines or other immunosuppressants for the treatment of perianal Crohn's disease?
1: This is an interesting question because with regard to thiopurines, there is no prospective controlled trial uh, with fistula outcome as the primary endpoint. So the available results are derived from a subgroup analysis of a randomized double-blind study where 31% of patients treated with 6MP experienced complete fistula closure compared to 6% of the placebo-treated patients um however a recent meta-analysis excluded the above t- study for methodological reasons and it did not show any efficacy of azathioprine for improving or closing fistulas uh, in perianal you know, fistulizing Crohn's disease there are basically no clinically relevant trial data with regard to the use of methotrexate in PCD Tacrolimus uh, proved to be efficacious uh, in a single short-term placebo-controlled trial, including 46 patients with actively draining fistulas. They received oral tacrolimus or placebo, and the um, closure of at least 50% of the fistulas was maintained for at least four weeks in 43% of the patients, compared to 8% in the placebo-treated group. However, the complete closure of all fistulas was not more common in the tacrolimus group. Um, There was also a concern for nephrotoxicity and side effects. Topical tacrolimus showed no significant benefit in another randomized controlled trial. With regard to cyclosporine, there are only observational and retrospective cohorts on the efficacy, which shows that clinical improvement is rapid, but relapse rates were quite high, and there were frequent related adverse events to the use of cyclosporines. When we consider the combo use of immunosuppressive treatment and anti-TNFs, data remained somewhat conflicting because the subgroup analysis of the XIN2 trial found that concomitant immunosuppressants did not improve response rates to infliximab at one year. Uh, In the SONIC trial, although 12% of patients had perianal fistulas, no separate analysis was performed. And uh, in the recent study, however, it is suggested that a clear association is there between combination therapy and fistula closure. The combination therapy's success is probably due to the reducing the luminal activity in patients with proctitis.
0: So you mentioned infliximab um, previously, but overall, what is the consensus on the role of biologic therapy for this disease?
1: Yes, uh, I think we have to talk about anti-TNFs uh, separately as, uh, as uh, evidence is different for these anti-TNF molecules. With regard to infliximab, there were two randomized controlled trials which uh, assessed the efficacy in fistulizing Crohn's disease. And the first placebo-controlled trial, an induction regimen was used, and it induced a significant response and a complete remission compared to placebo. In the action 2 trial, which further evaluated infliximab maintenance therapy for this indication, there was also um, a significant response seen, and the time to loss of response was also significantly longer on uh, infliximab-treated patients than on placebo-treated patients. With regard to Adalimumab, there has not been a dedicated controlled trial for fistulizing Crohn's disease. In two placebo controlled trials, namely in the classic one and in the GAIN trial, the rates of fistula improvement and remission did not differ significantly in adalimumab treated patients at week four compared to placebo. However, in the CHARM trial, which assessed the efficacy of the maintenance treatment with adalimumab among responders to the induction treatment, a subgroup analysis in patients with draining fistulas at baseline showed complete closure in 33% of adalimumab-treated patients versus 13% of placebo-treated patients. And also an open-label extension of this trial showed sustained healing in 90% of patients uh, on adalimumab treatment upon two years of follow-up. With regard to sertolizumab-pegol, a subgroup analysis of Precise 1 and 2, two large trials assessing the efficacy of serotonizumab pegol for a moderate to severe Crohn's disease, looked at fistula response. And at week 26, 36% of patients on serotonizumab pegol had complete fistula closure compared with 17% on placebo. In contrast, no statistical difference was found in the rate of fistula response. So in conclusion, according to a recent meta-analysis, which evaluated the efficacy of anti-TNF in perianal Crohn's disease, infliximab was found to have the most available evidence for the treatment.
0: So moving on now to surgical management, there are several options available. Can you just give us a brief overview of the consensus for this aspect of management?
1: While surgical drainage of perianal abscesses is always recommended prior to initiating immunosuppressive medical therapy to prevent further septic complications, and a non-cutting septent placement is useful to prevent recurrent abscess formation. They maintain the patency of the fistula tracts, and therefore they limit the recurrent abscess formation. However, the optimal timing for their removal is not well established yet. Definitive surgical options are only to be considered in the abscess of luminal inflammation with special regards to the presence of proctitis. One of the definitive surgical options is fistulotomy or lay open, which is a treatment option for symptomatic superficial and occasionally low intersphincteric fistulas, and they always have to be considered for the preservation of continence, especially in women. They offer high healing and low recurrence rates. Another definitive surgical technique, which is quite well-established, is the mucosal advancement flap, which entails the mobilization of a rectal mucosal flap to cover the primary fistula opening. According to a systematic review of 35 studies, a success rate of mucosal advancement flap for Crohn's fistulas was 64%. Uh, however, we have to count with the incontinence rate, which may, may even reach around 10%. Uh, there is uh, also a novelty of bio, for the use of bioprosthetic plugs, uh, which entitles porcine intestinal submucosa, and they are inserted via the internal fistula opening to fill the fistula tract and leave the sphincter apparatus untouched, so a relatively non-invasive technique. This has a really variable success rate between 24 and 88%. A relatively novel technique is the lift technique or the ligation of the intersphincteric fistula tract. And it is used in the management of transphincteric fistulas, uh, but only when the tract has matured into a fibrotic tube with granulation tissue. And this would enable to perform ligation and transection. Uh, The working group concluded that the use of fibrin glue and stem cell injections is not well established yet. When we talk about surgical options, we also have to consider the last resort of treatment, namely the diverting stoma, which is only an option for patients with severe complicated therapy refractory disease. Most patients with a stoma will ultimately require proctectomy and uh, the continuity can only be restored in a minority of patients. When this has to be done, a transperineal interstinctary close rectal proctectomy with permanent stoma is the treatment of last resort.
0: So based on these consensus statements, the paper provides a figure treatment algorithm for the treatment of perianal Crohn's disease. And as a summarizing conclusion, what are the main issues to consider when faced with a patient with this diagnosis?
1: I think there are three main questions to answer uh, with the diagnostic evaluation of these patients. Um, The first of these questions is whether the patient has an abscess, and if the answer is yes, then immediate surgical incision and drainage should be carried out with uh, antibiotic therapy. Certain insertion can also be considered, especially if the patient is known with recurrent abscess formation. The second question is whether the patient has an anal stricture. The stricture is a factor which will predispose the patient to a non-healing fistula tract and therefore, if present, it should go through gentle finger dilation uh, and always with regard to preserving patient's continence. And the third question is whether the patient has luminal inflammation, especially proctitis, as this needs aggressive medical therapy and no definite surgical interventions can be carried out due to a lack of healing capacity. Therefore, aggressive medical treatment is required to avoid diverting stoma and proctectomy in the long run. This aggressive medical treatment includes anti-TNF and immunosuppressives and potentially antibiotics. And fourthly, uh, if the patient doesn't have abscess, stricture, or proctitis, so we answered all the three main questions, then surgery with or without medical therapy can be considered. And to decide on the best surgical option, the fistula needs adequate classification. For example, a superfistula can be laid open, while a transfencteric fistula tract can go through a lift procedure.
0: So lastly, what are the outstanding questions around this diagnosis and what are the research questions that may improve the outcome for these patients?
1: Well, up until now, only few randomized control trials are available where fistula response and healing is the primary endpoint of the study. Additionally, the outcome measures also vary from clinical scores, such as the fistula drainage assessment, which is most commonly used, to MRI evaluations and the combination of clinical and MRI scores. Therefore, in the long run, further prospective studies are needed with long-term follow-up where fistulas are meticulously classified. And additionally, improved instruments are needed to score perianal fistula activity to be able to evaluate response to treatment more precisely.
0: So that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Just like to thank Dr. Christina Getter for joining me today. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you.